morning, beloved. Oh, y'all are a gorgeous people. It's lovely, beautiful. It's good to see y'all. Hey, I want to begin with a prayer from Walter Brueggemann. If you guys have been here for any amount of time, you know my sermons could be mornings with Walter. I love him so much. And uh, this is a prayer called Give Us Appropriate Yielding. God of our mothers and fathers, long gone and treasured. God of our grandchildren, yet to be and awaited. God of our years, our days, and even of this moment. Our lives are deeply rooted in the miracles before us. Our faith is richly set in courage running thick. Our vocation is shaped by all those who have risked for your purposes. And now, now in our remembering, we are made mindful of our own place of call and our own time of obedience. We pray for ourselves and for your whole church. Courage beyond our easier timidity. Vision beyond our present tense. Restlessness before our ready settlements and yielding beyond our will to manage. Give us this morning appropriate yielding that we may be like our remembered ones in freedom and in love for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, whom we remember until he comes again. Amen. So we're continuing our series. For those of you who are visiting this morning, or maybe it's been a while since you've been here, a little while back, right after Easter, we began uh, an enterprise of walking through this year uh, a curriculum called Telling God's Story. This curriculum is birthed and invented by a gentleman, a Bible scholar by the name of Peter Enns. And uh, we decided that what we would do is, this is telling God's story, it's teaching our children about the person of Jesus that we would at every level of the church, whether that's our littles and monkeys and crocs, our pre-K or our kindergarten, all the way up to here, we'll be focusing on the same passage. And these passages will center and revolve around the person of Jesus. So we began talking about stories that Jesus told, and Jeff and Jody and I shared with you some of the parables and our thoughts on the parables that Jesus told, that these were stories told with a twist to both invite us into the kingdom of heaven and the establishment of God's reign and rule here on this earth, but also not just inviting, but challenging us deeply to change the way we are, to conform ourselves to the image of Jesus. And so after that series, we've moved into miracles performed by Jesus, and we've been talking about those for the last few weeks. And today, our passage brings us to this story of Jesus walking on the water as found 
in Luke chapter 6. And so I want us to look at that, and I'm briefly going to share with you kind of that story and the framework and the principle that Peter ends is wanting our children to know and to understand. But I also want to take that and go adjacent a bit. There are times that Jeff or Jody or Debbie I or whoever is here will share with you um, stories and thoughts and sermons and, 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 and whatnot that are fully fleshed out. We've been dealing with these things and we have a pretty good handle, we think, and we have a good idea of where we're going and we're giving you thoughts that we've shared a lot of times in a lot of places. And then there's other times where perhaps the seed of something is there that we're still struggling with or we're still kind of turning over that gem in our minds of what this might mean and, and uh, imply for our lives. And so today what I want to do is I just want to open up basically kind of my journal and share with you where I'm at with some of these stories and uh, in this passage in particular so that you can kind of trace where my thoughts are and that it's all right for us not to have everything all settled all the time. There's this piece where we're bringing ourselves, our lives, our stories, our doubts, our questions, all of this into play. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And if I was going to name this um, little talk this morning, it would uh, be something I first saw when I moved in with Jeff and Jody a while back, there was a sign, I forget exactly where it was, I think it was right by the door, but it said, we can do hard things. So that's what I want you to hear today, and that's our refrain for this morning, we can do hard things. So going into this passage here in Luke chapter 6, verses 45 through 52, I want to just mention the context. In the previous passage, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He told his disciples to go ahead while he dismissed the crowd, and then he went up into the hills to pray. Just a little aside, if we want to be able to do the things that Jesus did, then we need to center our lives around the things that Jesus did. You want miracles in your life? Do what Jesus did. Find time continuously to go off and to pray. It's funny, we want the results, but we don't want to do the work. And so Jesus has gone off and he has gone to the hills to pray and the crowd has intended him to be king. They've come to him and asked him to be their Messiah and he gives them a really bad uh, altar call, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, okay, we won't have anything to do with that. <laughs> and so Jesus goes up and off. And so then he goes to pray, and, and, and he understands that the disciples are in the boat on the water, and he decides in the middle of the night to go out and to walk to them. And so here we are. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. Okay. 2,000 years later, we're desensitized to some of the things that we read in the Bible. You caught that, right? 
he began walking on the lake. All right, forget all the golf jokes you have about Moses and Jesus. Forget all that stuff. This is Jesus in a very real way, showing that he is the Son of God because he is doing the miraculous. This is declaring his sonship to those closest to him because he has control over nature as his father, heavenly father Yahweh did. So he was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified, as I would be. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. In other words, they had seen this miracle. Why were they surprised by this miracle? And I would argue providing lunch for 5,000 people, wow, incredible and amazing. It's a little different than being out in the lake in the middle of the night, straining against the storm, and here comes a cat walking on the water towards you, okay? And so there's this important part here, and this is what Pete Enns wants to talk to us about, and this is what our kids are hearing today, and I think it's appropriate is that Jesus, through the enactment of all of these miracles, making the supernatural natural, is saying that Jesus stands in a line of the prophetic, stands in a line of God's anointed, and is uniquely God's son at this time, and the one able to bring to us the kingdom of heaven and all that that means, that God is with us in the here and now, as well as for eternity. But this is also where I differ with Pete a little bit. (laughs) And you need to know that that's okay. Not only is it okay, it's healthy for you to not believe everything you're taught. (laughs) I have mad respect for Peter Enns. I read his books. He's formulated a lot of my thoughts. He's shaped the way I view the Bible and the world in so many ways. But in this particular instance, I'm struggling because I think maybe you're missing the point here, Pete. And you need to be able to do that with us. God's not concerned with uniformity. He's concerned with unity. So we have diversity of thought here, and that's okay. There's a lot of things that we can think can still be Christ-centered. So I want to share with you my thoughts about what I think this passage is telling that might be a little different than what Pete is saying to us. Because when I read this passage, I'm reminded of its companion passage in another gospel. And in this gospel, it's told a little differently. In the gospel or the good news of Matthew, in chapter 14, Jesus is again walking on the water, but we have a little different telling of the story. 
beginning with verse 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then here in verse 28, we're led into a different part of the story. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to you, to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. We can do hard things. You see, God is always calling us to do the impossible. And it helps us to remember that anything that Jesus did during his life here on earth is something we should be able to do as well. And this is where Pete and I make a little change. There is a theory in theology called the kenosis theory. And this idea comes from this Greek word kenosis that I think is mentioned five times in the New Testament most notably, and we'll concentrate on it here, in the letter to the Philippians in chapter 2. Kenosis means emptying, self-emptying. And the idea here is that when Jesus, who if you will remember, is the second part of the Godhead, the Trinity, existed from the creation of the earth, that Jesus, upon coming to us, though, for this short period of time, some 30 years, 2,000 or so years ago, through the birth, through the life, through death, resurrection, and ascension, we call this the incarnation. That God became one of us. And really, the whole of the story of us and God hinges on this pivotal moment. In other words, our faith is one that does not demand of us to come up to God, but showcases instead a God who is willing to come down to us. And the kenosis passage here in Philippians 2 
says that basically, because Jesus emptied himself, Jesus being fully God in essence was, however, fully human here. So Jesus is not an X-man or mutant. (laughs) Jesus doesn't have a that was easy staples button where Jesus could just decide whenever to know people's thoughts or feed 5,000 or walk on water. But instead, everything that Jesus did miraculously during his incarnation was fully through the will of the Father and through the agency and power of the Holy Spirit, which are still both available to us today. And it's this kenosis idea that gives you an I Velcro that basically says, really, Jesus was like us. He wasn't just pretending to be like us. Jesus didn't have that easy button that you and I don't have, but that Jesus actually fully identified with us. And we can be like Jesus in these ways. So Peter ends as really in this moment trying to protect the divinity of Jesus. And what I want to posit, proffer, and suggest to you today is that the most divine, the most God-ish piece of Jesus was Jesus' self-emptying. There was nothing more God-like. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father than Jesus' sacrificial love for us. So there's a book called Walking on Water by Madeline Lingle, my other favorite author, who suggests to us this idea. If Jesus of Nazareth was God, become truly man for us, us, as I believe he was, she says, then we should be able to walk on water. What? To heal the sick. Even to accept the Father's answer to our prayers when we hope, when, when it is not the answer that we hope for, when it is no. See, in Philippians 2, and I'll read it for you really quickly. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's that kenosis. By taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, what Madeline is saying, and this is the part that I'm still struggling with, is that when we were made in a full 
image and likeness of God. We had those same abilities that Jesus displayed. She says in those moments, and, and I don't know how I feel about this, it, it speak, speaks to my, my artist side and to my imagination, but I'm not quite there yet, is that when Peter was walking on that water, he was remembering how. That at one point, he and humanity before the expulsion from the garden could walk on water. And that's a beautiful thought. And I don't know that it's literal or factual, but I do know this. I know that we can do hard things. My time's up. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to make a noise. That was, Jeff, take care of that for me, please. And I have my little sand dial, so I was, he's like, yep, wrap it up. Where I was remembering about something. I know that we can do hard things, but I think we forget that we can do hard things. I think we forget who we were created to be. I think we forget that we were born for community and we try to do life alone. I think we forget that the God who walked on the waters and healed the sick and fed the multitudes is here with us in this present day and on our side. I think we forget. And as we forget who we've been created to be, we forget our God-envisioned selves. We forget that we can do hard things. But we're here to remember You've heard me say this before if you've been around for a while, but when the question comes, why do we gather here on Sunday mornings? Why do we do this grove thing? Why do we do church? We do it, I think, for three reasons. We come here on a Sunday morning to remember that we're part of a story far larger than ourselves. A story that at its beginning and middle and end is not of our own writing, but that we have an author, a heavenly author, who has intention behind it all and who's in control of the flow of the narrative. If we'll allow our hands to be placed in God's hands, then our plots can be rewritten. Our narratives can find new meaning. We can have a rewrite if our life needs it. We remember that God is a God who comes to us in incarnation. We remember that God is a God who loves us and sits with us. We remember all of these things and it gives us hope. Not only do we gather here to remember, but we gather here to rehearse. When we come together and we greet one another, that might just be a thing to do. But if we think about it, if you could just think every time that Jody or Jeff or myself or someone stands up and says, all right, if you'll get and just greet someone or another, if you'll, as you stand to your feet and you go to turn, if you'll remember God first welcomed you. 
and that in welcoming one another, whether it's friends who we've done many years of life together in celebrations and in trials, or if it's someone new for the first time, that we are welcoming because our God welcomes. And when we sit and we sing, we're singing songs of hope. We're singing songs of lament. We're giving voice to all that is in us emotionally. And we're doing so because we are rehearsing what it is to be God's people, a people who pray. And that we have a different vocabulary than the world has. Oh, a vocabulary of hope, a vocabulary of lament, a vocabulary of God is with us. When we give praise, we're speaking of what God has done. And when we worship, we're going directly to God. And speaking, communing in presence with God. When we give, we have buckets here. In the back and here, when we give, we're, we're rehearsing that our economy is not the economy of the world. It's where we hoard and we store up. But our economy is one where money and resources flow through our hands as instruments of God's change in this world. It's not ours. It's all God's. And we're simply stewards. We don't own it. We're entrusted with it to use it on God's behalf. When we listen to sermons, we remember that God is strongly inviting us into God's kingdom and into the story, but also that God is challenging us that we are not to be the same. And when we pray a benediction, we're commissioning ourselves to go out into the world because not only do we remember? And not only are we here rehearsing, but we're remembering and rehearsing so that when we get out of these walls, when we're in the world, that we can respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and how to be God's hands and feet to the world. We can do hard things. Like Peter, so often... We forget that we know how to walk on water with Jesus calling us to him. We see winds and waves and storms. And all those things begin to fill our minds and fill our hearts and fill us with fear that we can't. But as we empty ourselves, as God and the person of Jesus empty himself, what we're doing is we're emptying ourselves of our fears. We're emptying ourselves of our forgetfulness. And instead, as we remember of God's love and grace and power and beauty within all of us and within the community at large, we're making room for God's trust and love and spirit to flow. So Tiffany and Michael are going to come up. Here's what I'd ask you to do today. As we're sitting here and we're thinking on remembering, rehearsing, and responding, I want you to reflect on this word, the words of this song. It's a new song, and it's kind of talking about the fears of life and what they have and then how God responds with that. But I, I want you to think, okay, what do I need to empty myself of today? Is it pride? Is it control because I'm afraid to depend on God? Is it greed because I'm afraid there's not enough? Is it hate or hurt because I'm afraid to allow God to heal and to forgive? What do I need to let flow out 
and be emptied so that I can be filled with God's love and spirit. I want to end with another prayer from our friend Walter. He says this. He says, we are fearful folk and we dwell in the midst of a fearful people. Fearful of our world falling apart in terror and moral decay. Fear of too many dangers, toils, and snares. Fearful of not doing well, of being found out, of being left out, of being abandoned, of our own shadows. And then we hear astonishingly, in the midst of our fearfulness, you're mighty, do not fear. Do not fear, I am with you, with you in wealth and in poverty, with you in success and in failure, with you for better or for worse. We hear, we trust, we receive your comfort and are made new. We thank you for the newness of our identity, of our trust, of our calling because of your new utterance of life to us. We will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, we, your new people, thank you for your newness. And notice that your work, and you work newness among us. For we, we know about being lame people who walk. We know about blind people who see. We know dead people who live. We know about poor people who are unburdened. And we rally around your newness that is both our hope and our work. Your fearless newness into which we are immersed is beyond our expectation, but we are not offended by it. We're not scandalized by you, not ashamed of your newness, not embarrassed by your healings. You are our God, and we are thankful for you. And so we now ask for energy and freedom rooted in your fearlessness that we may live toward and from and for your newness that bubbles up. Even in the midst of us, all around us, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we pray in the name of your fearless gifted newness who scandalizes the world and makes all things new. Even Jesus. Stand to your feet, if you will. God, on this day, we remember that our story revolves around the incarnation, around the God of all, and all power, and all wisdom, and all knowledge, who came down to us. And we rehearse what it means to empty ourselves of our own desires and passions that are at odds with your kingdom. And instead, we allow the Spirit of God which is love to fill us. And we promise this day to respond by living lives of sacrifice and other-centeredness as you have lived before us as our model. We thank you for you are a good God and you are with us in all things. And we have no need to be afraid because with you, we can do hard things. Grove, love one another, encourage one another, safe touch. Amen. See you soon.